Jelly Oil Company presents Captain Midnight. Captain Midnight, brought to you three times each week by the Skelly Oil Company, Skelly Jobbers and Dealers. But first, tell me this. Does your family car ever have heart trouble? Yeah, heart trouble. In other words, is your family car ever troubled with a weak battery? You see, the battery is the heart of your car. A car can't operate without a battery any better than your body could operate without a heart. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, it's because I have something for you to tell Dad about the heart of your family car, the battery. It's this. There's nothing that's quite so hard on a car's battery as motor oil that gets thick as glue in cold weather. Now, of course, all motor oil gets slightly thicker in cold weather, but some kinds get much thicker and glueier than others. They keep your motor from turning over easy in the morning. They drain the power out of the battery, so you have to have it recharged oftener. The battery may even go dead just when you need it most. Yes, Oil that turns thick as glue in cold weather is really hard on the heart of your family car. So, here's what to tell Dad about that. Tell him to try Skelly Tagoline Winter Motor Oil. Because Skelly Tagoline Winter Oil is especially processed to make it stay free-flowing in cold weather. It won't turn thick as glue when the car stands overnight in a cold garage. It will let your motor turn over easy and start quick. That means less wear on your battery, better lubrication for your motor. Skelly Tagoline Wetter Motor Oil is easy on the heart of your family car. So remember that, won't you? Tell Dad you don't want your family car to have heart trouble. Tell him how Skelly Tagoline Wetter Motor Oil is easy on batteries because it's free-flowing in cold weather. It's good for your car's heart. Tell Dad about it tonight. And now to Captain Midnight. In trying to trace Chuck Ramsey and Frank Crane, who have suddenly disappeared, the remnants of Chuck's plane, which burned after a crash, were found. A short distance from the wreckage, Captain Midnight is talking in low tones with Steve Donovan and Fred Hilton. After reconstructing what, in his opinion, has happened, Captain Midnight makes the amazing statement that when Chuck's plane crashed, no one was at the controls. Listen as Steve exclaims, you you actually mean that no one was flying Chuck's plane when it crashed here? I don't mean anything else, Steve. Why, it doesn't seem possible, Captain Midnight. Perhaps not, but that's still my opinion. It may sound fantastic, but here's the way I see it. Chuck's plane was turned for a takeoff the narrow way of the field. The wheel was tied so that the ship would rise on a normal climb. Then someone from outside the plane shoved the throttle wide open and the ship took off by itself. You mean it tried to take off? Yes. But whoever did it must have known the plane wouldn't clear those trees. I don't think whoever did it cared whether it cleared the trees or not. If the ship crashed here, that was all right. If it succeeded in clearing the trees and crashed somewhere else, well, that was all right, too. I begin to get your drift now. Someone wanted it to appear that Chuck and Young Crane had been killed. Yes. At least he wanted to make it difficult for anyone to find out what became of Chuck and Young Crane. Then if Chuck wasn't flying his own ship, the chances are he was in the other plane, the big one. I lean to that belief, yes. Well, then, whoever engineered this thing came over here, fixed it so Chuck's plane would crash, then took off in the large ship. Well, if I can read the signs correctly, that's about it. In that case, Chuck and Young Crane must be prisoners in that big plane. That's the logical conclusion, Fred. Well, the next question is, who was flying this big ship? 
I don't know, Steve. But frankly, between the three of us, I'm... I'm a little bit worried. Well, who in the world would want to carry off Chuck Ramsey and young Crane? They didn't have any money to speak of. Robbery couldn't have been the motive. You know about Ivan Shark, Fred. Sure, I know about him, but I thought you told Steve you didn't believe he was anywhere around this part of the country now. He isn't. Now. But he may have been yesterday. Do you really believe Ivan Shark would have had the nerve to fly up this way? Now, wait a minute. I'm thinking back, Steve, and I remember that Major Steele told us Ivan Shark's plane passed over him and Bud Conley several days before we found them. Now, does that mean anything to you? Why, George, that means Shark was headed in this general direction. Right. And we know that Shark has underworld connections all over the country. He may have known about the field we were at this morning. Knew it was a safe place to refuel. I begin to see the whole thing now. When Chuck was on his way back to Ridgeville Airport after meeting me, he must have seen Shark's plane on that field. Maybe it was refueling then or it already finished. He landed to investigate, and then... Well, wait a second, Hilton. Chuck's no fool. He knows Ivan Shark's plane. He wouldn't have walked right into the lion's mouth. Now, you hold on a minute, Steve. Ivan Shark's no fool either. He could have disguised his plane, repainted it, done a lot of other things to change its appearance. You know, I believe that's just what happened. But the most important question to my mind is this. Where did Ivan Shark head from here? Where was he going? Well, that's difficult to say, Fred. As I said before, Shark has underworld connections everywhere. He has many hideouts. Our only chance to beat him is for us to anticipate his moves. Now, that's what I'm going to try to do. Well, there's no use in wasting time here. Come on. We're going to take off at once. At almost the same time, Ivan Shark is about a thousand miles away flying northward in his plane. The servant Fang and Fury Shark are in the rear of the cabin, guarding the door leading into the rear compartment, in which are Chuck Ramsey and his young friend, Frank Crane. They are talking together in low tones. Let's listen as Frank says. That's what I was hoping for last night. But Shark just didn't, didn't give us a chance. Uh, he doesn't take chances like that. Much as we'd like to hope so, I'm afraid he's not going to make a slip anywhere. Where do you suppose that field was? Where we stopped at last night? I haven't got the faintest idea, Frank. All we do know is that he flew almost four hours before landing. That's right. I remember you checked it by your wristwatch. Chuck, this ship can cover a lot of distance in four hours, so let's try to figure out which direction we've been going. We only had a compass. Uh, that would help a lot, I know. But we haven't, so let's try something else. Now, this much we do know. Chuck hasn't been doing any turning or circling around, so it's safe to conclude that he's been flying in the same direction all the time. And I imagine we're continuing in the same direction this morning. Now, let's try to think where about a thousand miles from Ridgeville would put us. Okay, let's do that. If he flew east, that would put us way out over the Gulf of Mexico. And by looking down through that crack in the center, we would have known it if Chuck had flown over a large body of water. You're right. That's out. Now then, what about the south? A straight southerly course would put us down in the southern part of Mexico. In fact, we might even be out over the Pacific Ocean. Well, if that's the direction he went, we're still over Mexico. We haven't seen any water yet. Now, if he flew west, a thousand miles would put us out about, well, over the Gulf of California. Or that long strip of land known as Lower California. Well, we haven't seen any large body of water, so that's out too. The only direction that remains then is the north. And that's the direction I'm beginning to think he took. Well, let's see. If he flew north a thousand miles, it ought to put us somewhere in the northern part of Texas or in Oklahoma. Right. And that particular region is rather flat. Come on, let's take a look and see what the country below us looks like. Okay, Chuck, let's... Uh, I don't think we're over Oklahoma or Texas, because this country below us is awful rough. Yes, yeah, some of those mountains are pretty high. You bet they're high. Look, you'll notice there's a lot of timber down there, but that's certain parts where there isn't any timber at all. Now, those sections are above the timber line. Well, gee... If that's the case, those parts that didn't have any timber must be terribly high. Yes. 
and I'm beginning to wonder if we aren't looking down on the Rocky Mountains. I can't imagine any other region where so much of the mountaintops would be above the timberline. Gee, if we're over the Rocky Mountains, Chuck must have been flying in the northwest direction. That's right. And if those are the Rocky Mountains, we're probably in the northern part of New Mexico or the southern part of Colorado. My gosh, Chuck! You're not far from your home at Black Gulch. You know, I'm just wondering, Frank. I'm wondering if Shark isn't going back to his old hideout in the mountains behind Black Gulch. But you said he was driven out of there. Yes, he was. But it's quite possible he had another hideout here that we didn't know anything about. Oh, if only have given us a chance to do something last night. We just didn't know. It would have been suicide to try anything. They blindfolded us before they took us out of this compartment. And when I tried to push my blindfold up with my hand, that fellow Gardo hit me so hard with his fist, I almost knocked me over. Yeah, I heard that. Afraid for a moment that you were hurt bad. So I didn't try anything more after that. If we're going to get out of this, we're going to have to do it by using our heads. But look, Chuck, what do you suppose Shark's going to do with us? What's his idea in taking us this far? Wait a second. Somebody's at the door. You will come out, Chuck Ramsey. My master, Ivan Shark, wishes to see you. Very well. Now, don't get worried, Frank. I'll be back in a few minutes. Chuck Ramsey, Master. Very good, Fang. You will please take the co-pilot seat, Ramsey. I had Gardo leave it to make room for you. Now what are you trying to do? And I may as well warn you, Ramsey, not to try anything. Gardo is seated in the cabin with a gun ready for instant use. And even though I'm flying the plane, I can handle you, too. You have a lot of confidence in yourself, don't you? Yes, Ramsey, I do. I may say that I would not find myself in my present position if I didn't. I know you didn't get me up here to tell me about yourself. What do you want with me? Hmm. Excellent, Ramsey. That was spoken after my own heart. You waste no time in coming to the point. You might as well come to the point right now. I do not think there is any great rush, Ramsey. To be truthful with you, I anticipate that you will be my guest for a long time. And in order that you shall not raise your hopes too high... I will tell you that I have noticed the quick glances you are taking at the ground below. It is quite useless, my dear Ramsey. I would not have allowed you to come up here without your blindfold if I had any fear of your discovering anything of value. Well, I must admit I don't see anything that looks familiar. No, and you won't. At least, not for a while. All right. Let's get to the point. I like Frank Crane's company a lot better than yours. (laughs) My dear Ramsey... I am somewhat shocked at you. Such a statement might almost be considered rude. (laughs) Maybe so. You think that is any way to treat me, Ramsey? Remember, your life is in my hands. Why don't you get to the point? Ramsey, Captain Midnight is very fond of you, is he not? Yes. Yes, he is. Captain Midnight undoubtedly would be very much pleased to see you again, would he not? Yes, I guess he would. What do you suppose that Captain Midnight would be willing to do, Ramsey, if he could be assured of having you back safely with him again? Almost anything, don't you think? (laughs) Yes, Captain Midnight was right. The fiendishly clever Ivan Shark is preparing to strike at the only weak point... In Captain Midnight's armor, the famous pilot's love for Chuck Ramsey. What will happen next? Don't miss the coming battle of wits between the master criminal 
Ivan Shark, and the courageous pilot, Captain Midnight. Tune in to Captain Midnight. See, remember what we said a few minutes ago about the heart of your family car, the battery, and how oil that turns thick as glue is hard on your battery? Well, thick oil isn't the only thing that wears down your battery in winter. You run your lights longer in winter. Your heater puts an extra load on your battery, too. Then, maybe a defroster fan, and that takes battery power. Now, here's the best way to save a battery I know. Save it hard winter starts. First, by using a free-flowing, easy-starting winter motor oil like Skelly Tagoline, and second, by changing over to a wide-awake, weather-like gasoline. A gasoline that's fitted to your weather to give you quick starting in spite of cold winter weather. And here's one gasoline I know is weather right. Skelly Tailor-Made Gasoline. It's tailor-made for quick starts in your kind of weather. It saves your battery by starting right up the instant Dad touches the starter. Yes, Skelly Tailor-Made Gasoline and Skelly Tagoline Winter Oil both do your car's heart good. They're easy on the battery. Tell Dad about that tonight. And say just one more thing. Be sure to tune in our next program for a very important announcement that you'll be thrilled to hear. Tell all your friends to listen in, too, for sure. So, don't forget to tune in again Wednesday, same time, same station, for further transcribed adventures of Captain Midnight. Brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday by the Skelly Oil Company, Skelly Jobbers and Dealers. Until Wednesday, this is Don Gordon, your Skelly Man, saying goodbye and happy landing!